Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Black and Gay Back in the Day. We're bringing to life the archive of images of black LGBTQ plus life in Britain from the 1970s to the early noughties. I'm Mark Thompson. I'm an activist and health promotion specialist. And I built this archive with the journalist and writer, Jason Okendaya. black and white photo shows a man with short hair and a look of determination on his face glancing towards a camera over his shoulder. His leather jacket and flared jeans are a staple look for the 1970s. A keychain is clipped onto the belt loop of his jeans and tucked into his back pocket. The man who we know to be Ted Brown, a gay liberation front activist and journalist, is straddling a bicycle. He has a copy of the paper he writes for clipped to the back of the bike. The image on the front page is difficult to make out, but in bold letters, the words read, Gay News. Ted and the bike are on a quiet street. A few pedestrians are going about their lives behind him. It looks cold and everyone is in a big coat. To have a closer look at what the media landscape looked like for black LGBTQIA plus people at this time, I asked the writer, producer and former Pink News journalist, Abby McIntosh, to dig into it. So I've got a picture of Ted here. He's got a really, really nice smile. He's got a really, really friendly face. And I really like his outfit. I love the cut of his jeans. And he's got his keys on a tool belt, which is still very much in fashion now. I've not actually heard of gay news before. Um, but I know the Bishopsgate Institute has lots of gay archives. So it might be a good place to go and see if I can find a copy of gay news. and see if I can find the newspaper that Ted has in the picture. So we're just walking along the corridor and there's loads of posters and pictures um, documenting various times the campaign for homosexual equality and poster for Switchboard, one for Stonewall, the UK Leather Archives. Oh, I think this must be the library. (laughs) 
so we're in the basement of the Bishopsgate Institute and we're going to go and look at the archive of the gay newspaper. So there's loads and loads of big black bound A3 folders starting with January of 1973. So let's start with the first one, which is January 1973. I actually haven't seen that many newspapers from, I guess, the 70s. Um, I've seen like old copies of Diva and Curve magazine, but I've never seen like a UK gay newspaper before in person pictures of men kissing it's on the front cover i wonder where they where you'd get a copy of this from and how people like straight people thought what they thought looking at this oh my god it's so it's the pictures in relation to politics of kissing when a gay kiss costs 20 pounds in marlebone court recently 61 year old grocer ralph thompson of wembley and his 40 year old friend thomas white were each fined 20 pounds for sharing a goodnight kiss that makes me think of um, the kiss on the bus, the lesbian couple that got attacked. And actually, I don't ever do a goodnight kiss now because of that. I'd rather take the £20 fine, though, than homophobia. <laughs> Marlebone Court, that's near where my high school was. Uh, Marlebone is not an area I would kiss in, even now. Even, like, looking at this magazine, like, it's supposed to be for men and women, and it's mainly about men and... There aren't that many articles about lesbians. And the one that is that I found is about the oppression of lesbians. Um, one thing I've noticed flicking through this is it is very white. And I wonder what Ted makes of that at the time. I think that, unfortunately, this is still the case in the media and in LGBT media. It's very white and very male. And if it's a, if there's anything to do with lesbians or queer women, they are white women. Like, people say it all the time, but I do feel like we're less political than we used to be. And I wonder why that is, or if Ted thinks there's a difference at all. So that would be really interesting. I'm approaching Houseman's Bookshop. I've never actually been here before, but it's just around the corner from King's Cross Station. I'm really excited to meet Ted here at Houseman's, which holds so much queer history. It's so weird to see so many queer books in one place and not hidden in the back. There's lots of poli political and LGBTQ books here. Got the autobiography of Malcolm X. Queer London, the guide to the city's LGBTQ plus past and present. This I have read, and it has some of my favourite places in it. I feel like I could spend a few hours in here, just going through everything. There's so much to look at. Hey! Hi. Hello. Nice to meet you. I'm nice really looking forward to too. meeting you. <laughs> We're in the basement of Housemans, which is round the corner from King's Cross. You can hear trains going by, there's people walking around. Has it always been like this? Well, as far as I know, yes. In fact, it was even busier in those days because that was the beginning of many of the women's movements, the lesbian and gay movements, um, black civil rights movements were beginning to become active. 
and Hausmann's was the centre for all that activity and um, was pivotal. So I've got a picture here, that's of you. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I was a writer on the first ever uh, gay newspaper in Britain, uh, Gay News. And that's me in Normand Place, I think it is, where Gay News was origi originally published. Uh, Do you remember that photo being taken? Yes, I did. I don't remember who took it. but um, And I think that was the first copy of Gay News ever published on the back of my bicycle. And I have, yeah, I have two pictures uh, there. I really like uh, your outfit. Those jeans are great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just get, I just would love to get a sense of what it was like to be a young gay person knowing that being gay was illegal, like having sex. Because you were 19 or 20 when you joined? Yes, it was, it was very scary. Um, and luckily for me, because I was American and my mother had been involved in the civil rights movement in America uh, and had been at the, the Great March on Washington when Martin Luther King gave his speech I have a dream yeah. speech. I was feeling very sad and lonely. When I was 15, I told my mother that, Mum, I think I'm becoming homosexual. That's the only term that I knew in those days. I didn't know any other, other gay people, and I didn't know the term gay. Um, but just by chance, she had actually been at one of the meetings where a man called Bayard Rustin had spoken and said, in 1963, I think, that one day homosexual people would be fighting their, for their rights the same as um, black people were fighting for their rights. But when I told her, she cried on my shoulder and I cried on her shoulder because she told me, you're going to have to spend your life dealing with both the, the racism and the hostility people have towards homosexuals. It's really nice to hear that your mum was so supportive of it at the time because it was obviously, people think that black people are inherently homophobic, so it's nice to have like a positive story. I came out when I was maybe 17. I think I realised very young, um, and my mum actually read my diary and then spoke to me about it. It didn't actually go very well. She's quite religious. So that's why it's nice to hear your mum. Your mum's Jamaican. Yes. Yeah, yeah, my mum's Jamaican as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to hear a positive story from a Jamaican parent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the difference now is that for many um, young people coming out as lesbian, gay or trans, is that it's a public issue and people know that there are um, lesbians, gays, and trans people who are asserting their rights. But in 1965, that wasn't so. Uh, the only way that homosexuality was discussed was as a, a mental illness, a perversion, or immoral, if it was mentioned at all. So, as I said, I was very lucky to have a mother who wouldn't condemn me for doing something that was not malicious or vindictive, and who had fortunately heard the speeches by Bayard Rustin. So um, I went to the Bishop Gates Institute where yes. they've got um, loads of gay news archive, and I went through some of the newspapers, and I've got one here. From, it's from August the 6th, 1981. Right. Um, and on the front it says, Keep Britain Straight, Guards Against Gays. Is that somebody crushing out the pink triangle? 
Oh, Lord. Do you want to yeah. have a yeah. look yeah. at that? Yeah. Do you remember that? This uh, one? It's from a long time no, ago. No, I actually don't remember that, this particular issue. But then my memory isn't all that good. <laughs> really. They only said some things I re remember. But I might have written in it. I did try to write... Uh, most of my writing was trying to make sure that they introduced more women into the because it was all totally male. So that's one of the things I noticed uh, when I was looking through that lots yeah. of the it was very white and very male. Very, and white very and little women, if they were women, they were movie stars. And trying to get some uh, female and um, non white <laughs> or people of colour representation in the, in the magazine. What was it like working for a gay newspaper? Ah, uh, let's say uh, many of the people were very well-meaning, which doesn't, which means that I sometimes felt patronised, but I could also understand what, where they were coming from. When we came to this country in 1959, my mother traipsed all around London and was confronted with signs saying no blacks, no Irish and no dogs. And that was perfectly legal in those days. And it took a long time before that kind of prejudice was, was overcome. So I want to talk about the... You formed a group for black and gay lesbian people? Uh, yes, yes, called uh, Black, black Amph. Black Lesbians and Gays Against Media Homophobia. And that was formed on two particular issues. The first one was the hostility targeted at the black footballer Justin Fashnew who came out in 1989-90 and the um, major black newspaper The Voice had headlines saying how he was uh, had brought shame on the black community and how his brother had deserted him so we joined an organization we formed an organization Black Lesbians Against against media homophobia, um, mounted a boycott of the Voice newspaper to the point that they actually had to apologise and gave us a right of reply. So we had two pages in the newspaper in which we wrote and explained why their co contempt against gay people was wrong and why we deserved to be treated um, as well as everybody else in the, in the community. But we continued. There was a, a much more severe case, I think, um, a few years later when an artist called Buju Banton oh, yeah, released a song called uh, Boom Bye Bye, in which they sang about um, encouraging people to kill lesbians and gays by shooting us with machine guns and uh, um, burning tires around our necks. Now, Buju Bantam was being touted as the biggest thing since um, Bob Marley, and he was due to appear on the Ed Sullivan Show in the United States. His record was being played on the BBC, but that was because they didn't understand the patois of the, of the song. So me and my colleagues translated the song to the BBC, which stopped playing it, 
and he um, was supposed to appear uh, on a at a festival called WOMAD. And when we explained the lyrics of Boom Bye Bye to the festival organizers, they told him that he could appear on the stage, but he shouldn't sing that song. And he refused. He said that he was going to sing that song. And so he was banned. I appeared on the program, The Word, where this was discussed. And Shabaranks answered, um, if you contradict the laws of God, you deserve crucifixion. Oh. There was turmoil in the, in the studio. And um, I was um, seen saying, we're not going to put up with this kind of um, insults and threats anymore uh, from artists like Buja Benton. He, he virtually lost his career as a result of uh, us publicizing the hostility and the hatred expressed in that record. What was your like motivation or your driving force to be so was like to take such a stand instead of just I don't know, there's plenty of gay people who aren't activists. Well, well it was a continuation of human rights, as I said, because my family, my mother had been involved in the civil rights movement, I just felt that this was um unfair. One of the things I tried to do when I joined the Gay Liberation Front was to point out to the community that it was a diverse community. There weren't just white men involved in in the gay rights. There were black people, there were uh, Chinese people, Asian people. Uh, It was an issue for women. It was an issue for people who didn't accept the traditional male-female roles in society. One of the things that um, became prominent in the Gay Liberation Front movement at the beginning was the Pink Triangle. Now, the Pink Triangle was something that gay men had been forced to wear in the concentration camps in the, by the Nazis uh, before they were put in gas chambers along with Jews that were being killed. But the Gay Liberation Front adopted the pink triangle as a symbol of pride. I later had an, uh, another badge designed, which included the pink triangle, but also black triangles and white triangles to try and imply and to assert the multiracial, multiracial aspect of gay gay rights. And I have it here now to show you. It reminds me of the um, More Colour, More Pride flag. Now yes. that has the brown stripe and the... How did you feel like wearing these badges? Oh, well, I, I was very, very proud um, about wearing it because the majority of people assumed that being lesbian or gay was something that we felt ashamed of. And it was a wonderful experience being on the first Pride March to know that we were amongst people, other uh, lesbians and gays, who were going to fight for our rights and who are proud of who we were. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So do you think that there has been a change in the way black gay people are represented in the media? Do you think there's more of us? Do you think it's the same? Uh, it definitely has um, become an issue. For example, the rainbow flag now automatically includes um, non-white people, people of colour. It also includes um, trans people. Um, these issues are now being taken seriously and we're being recognised as a part of the community. When we were first demonstrating in 1970, we had no way of knowing whether there would be um, civil partnerships, for example, legal rights to, to work without being attacked for being lesbian or gay, that there would be public c uh, celebrities who were openly lesbian or gay. And that's not, those aren't achievements that should be undervalued. It's, uh, it took a long time for us to overcome centuries of prejudice to achieve what is now a better situation for lesbians, gays and people of colour. You mentioned that um, you wanted to make it clear that not everyone who's gay or lesbian is white. Um, what kind of experience did you have? The worst experience I have ever had was going on a date with a, a white man who I'd spoken to for about an hour and I thought we were getting on well. And we went into a restaurant and he literally tried to show me how to use a knife and fork. Wow. And <laughs> just showed how, how primitive their um, attitude to black people were, you know. Or, or, in fact, he was very surprised that I... He asked me, how did I learn to speak English so well? <laughs> <laughs> but actually that was better than some of the things that had happened to my mother in in, in the early days in America so when I came out um, the first thing I did was find like TV shows with lesbians in but you came out and joined the GLF do you think that young people today are less political uh, uh, yes yes I mean I think many uh, people take some of the advantages that we have today for granted and although actually I think that's an advantage because it's, it's good that uh, say young women today don't have to go through what my mother did for example the danger with taking these things for granted is that you don't appreciate the your achievements and there are people waiting to take those away and I think many of us need to be more conscious and politically active in order to keep what we have and to move forward. Hey, Abby. Hiya. How you doing? Yeah, good. Good. So I know, I heard you went to see Uncle Ted. I did, Ted I got to meet Ted. It was so nice. 
Yeah, how did it go? How was it? It was really good. It was really interesting to chat to him. I really cherish any time I get to speak to older LGBT people, particularly black ones. So you started off by reflecting on the picture from the uh, account, which is Ted on his bike delivering gay news back in the early 70s. How was how was that to reflect on the picture with Ted there? Yeah, it was great. Um, he's wearing really nice jeans. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good starting point to talk about the work that he was doing at Gay News at the time and what became Gay Times. Were there any particular things from that part of the story around gay news and, and Ted's role in that that surprised you or was, you know, completely out of the blue? Um, I think one of the things he said that really stuck with me is how he was fighting to um, include more black people and women, particularly in um, gay news. That's one of the things I noticed when I went to Bishop's Gate. I noticed that some newspapers didn't have any black people at all in them. And if there were, they were... I don't know, celebrities like Eartha Kitt. And it's a shame that that is basically what I still think the media is like now. It's mm. very white male focused. Mm. So, yeah. And did Ted talk to you about the challenges that he faced and how he overcame them to to get that representation in the press? Yeah, he showed me his um, badges that he made, with the pink triangle. Um, and he has a triangle with black, black and white, mini triangles inside, um, which really reminded me of the more colour, more pride flag. And it was really nice to see that he was fighting for that, um, but also sad that he's talking me through, like, some of the stuff that he went through and basically trying to, like, I guess, humanise black people for gay people. Gay white people didn't really understand the struggle of being black and gay. And actually what I really enjoyed was talking to him about the black community embracing the gay community particularly in Brixton, which I hadn't really heard many stories about. I've, you always kind of hear that black people are really homophobic. So it was really nice to actually hear that he has really good stories of gay people and black people working together. And then also he talked to me about coming out to his mum. Mm. And she's Jamaican and my mum's Jamaican. And I didn't have a positive experience with my mum. But it was really nice to hear someone who is Jamaican have a really nice experience coming out. So yeah, I really, really liked to hear that. Why do you think it's important that we hear those stories which are positive about acceptance in our community? I think because there aren't that many black gay people like in the media that you can see. The stories that you hear of being black and gay are always negative. And certainly when I came out, I, from what I've heard from like the media about Jamaica, being gay there isn't okay. And I just thought that I'd have to pick a side. So it's so nice to have like a positive story about coming out because I am black and I'm gay. So yeah, it's, it, this is who I am. So it's nice to have stories that have that. So you said there about, you know, picking a side or feeling like you have to pick a side. And I think many of us who are people of colour and we're queer, we're sometimes faced with that. Tell me a little bit more, a bit more about what that looks and that feels like and then how you resolve yeah, so I think, for example, with me coming out, you know, you go to Soho and the places in Soho are white. There are no black spaces in Soho. So you think, OK, well, this is the music I... If I want to go gay clubbing, this is the music I have to listen to. Um, and if I want to go... Well, I felt when growing up that if I was going to a black club or I was talking to Ted about bougie banter and, like, murder music, that's the kind of music I heard at clubs. And realising the thing, when I actually thought about the lyrics that I heard 
when I realised that I was a lesbian. I was like, wow, like, this is the music that I think, this, these are the words that the, the black community or the Jamaican people, this is what they think of being gay. And I really struggled with, like, I love reggae and I love dance hall. I really struggled with having to maybe lose that part of my culture, like being around that kind of music with my family and like at hall parties. That's what it reminds me of. And obviously now, like, black people are more visible as gay people and there are black spaces where they play dance hall and reggae. And it's so nice that I didn't have to, like, lose that part of me to be a lesbian. Mm. Let's just unpick that little bit about the bashment, dance hall, murder music thing, because I remember when Ted and a number of other black queer people were fighting against that and pushing for a ban on the music, there was some conflict in our community about that. You know, some people are like, I love this music and the lyrics doesn't, they don't really hurt me. I just want to dance and enjoy myself. Today, when we've got spaces like Queer Bruck and places which celebrate dancehall and bashment culture, do you think that that music has a place today? Can we enjoy it or should it be wiped out and put aside like Ted was fighting for? I think I can get where, obviously, Bougie Banton coming on the BBC and saying that is one thing. Um, and I can understand, like, that is not okay. But I think going to Queer Brack and being around other black people who have grown up with music that sounds like that, I think it's it's really nice to be in a space where you can reclaim that. Um, and obviously I prefer not to listen to music with that kind of lyrics, but the sound reminds me of growing up. It reminds me of all the people I love the most, my family, my grandparents being in Jamaica. And it's nice to have a space to listen to that in a safe way, knowing that the people who are singing the lyrics around me don't actually believe that. One of the things me and Ted did discuss is the lack of black women in the media and in spaces. And I do think that is still an issue today. I think that queer women, queer black women are missing from a lot of conversations or there's um, that movie that Ted was talking about. Boys in the Band, there isn't a lesbian version of that. And when there are lesbian stories, they're often white and American focused. Mm. I think you're right. I mean, I think that that, that does continue because we see women excluded from media across the board. I think there are some really high profile black queer women, you know, who have made a huge change, you know, and are really present, you know, our Lady Phils and our Monroe Bergdoffs are really, really out there. I'm just really keen that we continue to develop the next generation to enable them to flourish. And I think that in media representation, that's why I want to ask you as a black queer journalist, how are you making a difference and making a change around that representation? What are the challenges that you face? I think that one of the big challenge is making people believe that people care about these stories. Mm. That's really, really hard. And I'm really keen on pitching positive stories. I think I've seen enough negative stuff. When I was growing up, I didn't see a, a positive, happy future for myself as a black queer woman. And that's definitely why I want to send to like positive voices. And there are amazing women doing amazing things. And that is why I want to profile them, basically. Yeah. And how's that going? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that I, I think I've been lucky that I've been given opportunities to meet a lot of people and bring with me people that I really think are interesting. So I worked on a documentary recently and made sure that I brought black voices to that documentary. And it's a challenge and it's hard, but that is what I am really passionate about. So I will always make sure that I tell black queer stories. Yeah, so. yeah. And Ted was 
as, as I said, was also quite heavily involved in the uh, Lesbians and Gays Against Media Homophobia and was uh, tackling and challenging the Voice newspaper. What were your reflections on Britain's only black newspaper being so virulently homophobic at the time? I actually only found out about that story a few years ago. And The Voice is a newspaper that I grew up with in my house. My mum reads it, my dad reads it, loads of my family read it. And I find it really disappointing that the only black newspaper, the biggest black newspaper in the UK, would have such a such a horrible viewpoint on being gay and such a vocal viewpoint and having such a, like, holding such a big position, being circulated across the UK and being read by so many black people. I'm really disappointed in that. But I think The Voice since has changed quite a lot. Um, they do tell a lot more stories. They have a lot more women on the team. And I've read like loads of really positive things from The Voice. So Yeah. I mean, they featured me last year talking, yeah. talking about Black Gay Love. So, I mean, that's... I couldn't a, believe that. <laughs> that's a huge, huge leap. <laughs> so, Abby, tell me, after speaking to Ted, how has that impacted what you might do in your work in the media in the future? I think it's just given me more of a reason to use my voice more. Um, I think there are definitely more ways that I can be more vocal about my experience. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the loudest voice in the room, but anything I do, I think I know I'm going to try and put black queer women at the front of it. And it's just, Ted, his work was done so long ago and some of the issues that he's facing, I'm still facing now. But that doesn't mean that it's not important to try and fight those things anyway. Every new generation thinks that they're the first to do stuff. And I think making sure that we know our history is really important. And I would love to make sure that people know like the, what the work of like Ted and what you've done. I mean, I'm always going to say, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> we just need to put new spokes and pop up the tires. Exactly. I've been your host, Mark Thompson. The reporter in this episode was Abby McIntosh. You can find the picture we've discussed in today's episode and all the images talked about throughout this podcast on Instagram at Black and Gay Back in the Day. And drop us a message if you have something you want to submit to the archive. A link will be available in the show notes. Coming up next week on Black and Gay Back in the Day... And that's why pictures like this are so important, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Because they remind us that when we work together, we can actually achieve change. You know, whoever wonderful, whichever wonderful person took that picture, I'd like to say thank you because that's why it's so important to have this stuff recorded so and important. available for people to see. Black and Gay Back in the Day is an Art Nell production based on the archive created by myself, Jason Okendeo. It is produced by Shivani Dave and Tash Walker, and the assistant producer is Abby McIntosh. Mixing was by Adam Smith, and the music was composed and performed by Amaru. Artwork was by Kemi Oliede. The executive producers were myself and the Art Nell team. Thanks to Content is Queen, The Glass House, The Audio Content Fund, Gadio, The Bishopsgate Institute and all of our contributors. 
A special thank you to all of those past and present who fought for black queer liberation. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.